0: Hey everybody, it is your favourite boy, Drewy here. Uh, just spruiking the pod, spruiking the Patreon as we do. Jump o- uh, over to patreon.com slash community notice board. We've got deep dives, we've got news off cuts, we've got uh, oral history of Sydney comedy, we've got uh, just great apps, a lot of fun. Um, so jump over there, sling us five bucks and love ya.
1: Hello, welcome to another episode of Community Notice Board, a podcast about suburbs we grew up in, local landmarks, and hometown heroes. Oh, baby, you asked for it, you get it. We're riding solo. We're continuing the <laughs> Underbelly. It's your fault. You were talking to Alex then. <laughs> <laughs> you asked for it, you get it. Uh, we're continuing the Underbensley series. Ooh, we're doing... Not much so under here. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen a couple of matchsticks in my yeah, time. a uh, bee's dick. Uh, <laughs> what else can a fit bee's them? dick? <laughs> That's good. I don't mind that. How big is a
0: bee's dick? That's the expression. It's like you know, smaller <laughs> than a Benzley yeah. dick. Yeah, I mean, so. <laughs> Is that an that's actual a
1: expression, smaller than a bee's dick? Yeah, yeah I've never, never heard, that. heard that. That's what the beast stands wow. for. Is that like an Australian idiom? It must thing, be, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's I definitely, definitely remember them. like my mate trying to teach like Americans Australian idioms, and afterwards I was like, I have never heard that, and he was like, I just made it up. Mate. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I just wanted to hear them said. I was th- he was saying like four clicks of a duck's arsehole is four kilometers. And I was like, I've not heard that before (laughs) ever,
2: Every single listicle is like the 10 phrases Americans are... Create, like don't understand where they come. To, I was like, no, no one would ever say this nonsense. Yeah, it's yeah. just all
1: like you don't. So you know, you, you don't hear very much anymore. You don't hear uh, Americans referred to as sepo's, like in yeah. general, like general. You see it online. I think it seems that's to be that's one of those
2: things where I only ever hear it when it's like a reference to this is what we got. like. It's never used in just normal conversation. Yeah. It's always used as a reference to. And like, if school. I had
1: to explain sepo, the only thing I'd have is Mike Goldstein's beard about what. Being a sepo (laughs) means. But anyway, under Bensley. (laughs) Yeah, baby. We're doing. Where are we going? We're doing true crimes. We are going to the west of Australia, specifically west of Australia. Mm And we're... (laughs) To (laughs) be (laughs) more (laughs) specific, (laughs) WA. West of Australia, to be more specific, Mumbai. Uh, (laughs) Flying
0: to Perth.
1: Yeah, Yeah. we're flying to Perth. We're getting that five hours. We're community notes board. We've got a a Patreon now. We're flying first class. (laughs) At least (laughs) Al is while me and Drew are in (laughs) coach. He sends down a couple of... uh, Couple of mimosas t- to us.
0: Did I tell you? I think I told you, Jamie. But did I tell you about when I my taxi ride to the airport when I went the other week for work?
2: I think maybe I don't know. Come on, tell uh,
0: us. most insane taxi ride ever I've ever had because I, you did something stupid. Or I get in you? no know, because he this guy was psychotic. I jump in and it was a silver service taxi, but it was like
2: <laughs> just imagine Drew dropping a glass in the back seat going taxi
0: <laughs> <laughs> Uber. <laughs> I, um, I ordered it on the app and it just it sends the next car right i didn't select it but i jump Mm -hmm. in and he could obviously see that i didn't specifically select silver service so he starts going mate you've got to always make sure you order the silver service it's the best only the most experienced taxis. You need to be a taxi driver for 10 years to be silver service. No complaints. That's 10 years. No complaints. He's going off. Like not even taking a breath. <laughs> I didn't so even know that. And I'm mm. going, oh man, cool. Like, yeah, great to know. It he's was like, just
1: you needed to own a silver car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: And then he's saying, you know, they're, it's set prices. They're never going to gouge all this stuff. And I'm going, yeah, thanks, man. What a great tip. And he starts going on about, yeah, I've never had any complaints. And then he starts going, starts talking about, this was the first red flag. He's just like, I'm a you know, great driver. No complaints. And then he goes, oh, you know, I did, I did I almost, you know, lost my license from points because uh, I just got three tickets in one month.
1: That's not great driving. And I mm-hmm. was like,
0: oh, that's weird. And, he, and he's like, yeah, it's the points that get you. I don't care about the costs. It's the bloody points that get you because I've got to drive. And he starts complaining about the police being sneaky. You know, he's doing an illegal U-turn, so it, he's at fault. But it's it's 4 a.m., right? There's no one around. And sure. he's like, and these, these fucking bastards, they're always there. and he starts getting more heated. And then we pull up, like – Just uh, near sort of, as you're going into mascot, there's like a weird turn thing. And a lady beeped him and cut around him because he kind of got stuck at the corner. And when she beeped him, he pulls out into like, so there's two lanes going forward, two lanes going right. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to go forward and she was in the last lane going forward. So he pulls into the lane turning right, stops up like super far from the traffic light, backing up traffic, winds his window down and just starts fucking unleashing <laughs> on this woman. And and let me tell you, I won't repeat them, but there were some racial slurs getting hurt. Oh, off, no. And it's, uh, it, to hear him in the wild, it's, it freaks you yeah. out. You're like, oh, my God, people <laughs> still talk <laughs> like this?
2: <laughs> Is there a gold service? <laughs> <where
0: I'm talking>?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, mate, you got to drive a
2: gold car. <laughs> but
0: then the best part, he's he was like screaming and then he, speeds off down so he's in the lane where he has to turn right but he just like waits for the light to turn green fucking Mm. fast and the furious uh, across the lane Mm. pulls in and the whole time he's going fucking this if that was a man I tell you what she's lucky she's a woman if that was a man I would have reached in there and fucking pulled her out and beat the shit out of her and but at between this he's trying to still maintain this silver service (laughs) so he kept going he kept being like and you know, I'm a calm, I'm a calm guy. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm one of the most calm guys. But this motherfucker, and, uh, and I'm calm, all right. Like I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm a chill guy, and that's, and it was. Fuck, I was dying like Texan Hannah the whole time. Like, why don't <laughs> make it? The only car. reason
1: I didn't kill this person is because she was a woman. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so <laughs> I settled for yelling racial Sleece <laughs> and threatening her in the lane next to which I did not belong in, by the way. <laughs> hey, no complaints. 10 years, no com- I couldn't believe that. How's I like, got no oh, complaints? That's, that's the first um, thing I thought. I'm um, still no complaints an Uber Drew Everly. didn't complain, that's for sure. <laughs> remember <laughs> taking an Uber to Everly one time, and the guy was like, I hopped in in Marryfield and the guy's like, You got lucky. And I was like, oh, (laughs) what's that? Is this guy going to suck my dick? And he was like, I am the best driver in the world and takes off. And he's like, you know, drive... And I was like, ah, oh, what makes you the best driver? And he's like, I'll show you. And then gets out his phone and he has a YouTube channel okay. and starts showing me videos. Already but like poor just driving. In his hand. And I was just like, yeah, I'm in there being like, but man, you're watching a phone right now. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, that's how good I am. And I was like, okay, cool, man. And to be yeah, fair. I'm drunk too, man. Yeah, he did a very punk rock U-turn but uh, while watching a YouTube video about him doing U-turns. Oh, man, that's pretty meta. And <laughs> Did he yeah, film the, yeah, that yeah. one as it was well? like an episode he's of community. Gonna, he's going to show <laughs> that film to the next yeah. guy. Like, watch this. I'm filming. I'm watching. But uh, yeah, I remember. Like, at the end, he was like, because you know, like, I'm not sure how much it happens now, but like, back in the first days of Uber, like, everyone, like, you'd be getting out and they'd like, almost grab your arm and be like, Five stars. Five stars? Yeah. yeah this yeah, yeah, this yeah. guy was like, I don't want just five stars. <laughs> like, he's like, I want like a recommendation and a tip. And I was like, you can't ask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that U turn was so punk rock, I gave him the 2 dollars t- Well, it was 10. a $14 drive. Jesus Christ. Anyway, anyway. under Perth True Crime. I, I'll, I'll start off because you I got, got some, something that's quite fun. It's called the Perth Mint Swindle.
2: Ooh, it sounds uh, delicious. Yeah, after dinner? I'm ready. <laughs> I was just looking up recipes of after eggs, <laughs>
1: and then this came up, and then it was a story about gold, and I was like, fuck, uh, you can't uh, eat this. Yeah, they look like big this. bars of Wait, chocolate. Wait, Jamie,
2: gold can buy you many things. Many <laughs>
1: <laughs> buy a big Toblerone with that gold money. But, uh, uh, so this is from ABC News, it says there are a few... Bigger scandals in WA history than the 1982 Perth Mint Swindle. Mm. It's cast of memorable characters, included a trio of Larrakin brothers, which I love, mm-hmm. a corrupt detective, which we love, Great. who is ultimately murdered well, oh, in a right. bikey revenge car bombing, and tangentially the infamous businessman who we've mentioned on this pod before, okay. Alan Bond. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, the story began with the audacious theft from the mint of uh, 68 kilograms of gold. So that's... That's a shitload. That's like a Drew Bensley worth of gold. Uh, Well, I mean, if I stack a couple of (laughs) kgs. What year? Uh, 1982.
0: Have you guys ever been to the Mint in Canberra? i've uh-huh. got a great scam going where you press your own dollar coin at least last the time the i was there
1: Spearmint rhino. <laughs> yeah, <many times.
0: laughs> um, but you pay two dollars to make yourself one dollar oh, really? it's <laughs> yes,
2: one of the greatest <laughs> that's <laughs> the great <is>. mint swindle would <laughs> you win a feature or something <laughs> yeah, like yeah, literally yeah.
1: a poking machine um yep yeah, so uh so 68 kg of gold 68 yeah. kg of gold in a manner that seems incredible by today's security standards, on June 22, the mint received phone calls from three men who ordered the gold. One who identified himself as Bob Fryer, another one as Mr. York, and the third a Mr. Blackwood. So this gold was worth six hundred and fifty-three thousand dollars at the time, which Ooh, equates okay. to about more. six point four million dollars okay, today. Right? Yeah. Uh, the gold it was forty-nine bars worth of gold, so. 49 to 60 kilograms.
2: So, so private citizens calling up an order in gold, that's how that's how it works?
1: I think you could just do that. That's, Be like, Man, so that's I'm a, the
2: biggest red flag yeah. ever. Is there any real <laughs> yeah. reason for I'm that? a
1: gold guy. We have a podcast called Community board, <laughs> we got a Patreon. We can afford gold now.
2: <laughs> we haven't checked our accountant, but this yeah, seems like yeah, a good yeah.
1: idea. We haven't checked our Patreon numbers in a while <laughs> either. <laughs> uh so uh the gold in the form of 49 bars was collected from the mint by three guards who turned up in separate armored vehicles so three separate vehicles Mm -hmm. with the gold in it each presented a building society check to the mint for the precious metal which were (laughs) except so the three guys they gave a check so and the checks were accepted. Can't be how they did And it. the gold bullion was handed over. On a check. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> fucking yeah, yeah. Wow, it's wow. an IOU or something. <laughs> yeah. like this is unbelievable. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> uh so yeah. So uh, like it's just a piece of paper being like, I'm good for it. Yeah. And uh Yeah, yeah. So um basically it after that, uh, it wasn't until the following day that it was discovered that the checks had been stolen and the money did not exist. With few apparent leads and public pressure mounting, police began to get desperate as the days and then weeks elapsed without an arrest. And then, out of the blue, a stunning confession from a young Perth abalone diver. Did you know abalone? Yeah, it's a disgusting f- fucking fish thing. I don't know it's disgusting. I've I never eaten it. It, it's, I know it's it very sells expensive. for a lot of money. Yeah. It's like there are places in Chinatown that do it where it's like it's in like gift boxes.
0: Mm, mm. and it's
1: because I remember I used to work with a Japanese guy named Toru and he was like he would take me to places and that like a lot of them were awesome he was like now we're going to go look at the abalone shops and I was like what's so cool about abalone he's like it's like this big like the size of a 50 cent coin and it's so expensive and you go in there and it stinks. is it like a you know like a crustacean a clammy type thing I think it's kind of like oyster scallopy yes yes so anyway, uh, a Perth abalone diver, impl- uh, like he confessed, and then he implicated two of his brothers in the crime as well. So police celebrated, and it's a fairly safe bet. <laughs> All our
2: hard work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nothing, and a guy <laughs> called up.
1: Yeah, the svu theme players <laughs> as they do that. Uh, police celebrated, it, and it's a fairly safe bet. Sighs of relief were heard all the way down Hay Street from State Parliament to the elegant Sandstone buildings of the Mint itself. The only problem was that the Mickleberg brothers, Brian, Raymond, and Peter, had been framed. They were arrested on July 26. 22-year-old Peter Mickleberg had been talking to Belmont Police Station in Perth's eastern suburbs where feared cop Don Hancock was waiting for him with his colleague, Anthony Lewandowski. Uh, the young men would later testify Hancock beat him and made him strip naked. But despite that, he refused to sign a confession to a crime he didn't commit. Mm. So this guy is getting beat up. He's been stripped naked. So People the confession, probably like your dick's not that big, dude. <laughs> the confession <laughs> the confess- was, have <laughs> was forced out <laughs> of him, right? Yeah, so it says it didn't matter. The, the confession was unsigned. So the confession went oh, on so to we didn't p- confess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's like if I wrote something, being like, by the way, I stole the Perth Mint." Yeah. Uh, We're charging
2: you for refusing to sign the confession yeah, yeah. I typed.
1: <laughs> so although unsigned, the so-called confession went on to form a major part of the prosecution's case when Peter, Ray, and Brian went on trial in the Supreme Court the following year for defrauding the Mint. The other key plank supposedly proving the Brothers guilt, was the presence of Raymond Mickleberg's fingerprint on one of the checks presented to the Mint. By the time, by this time, the police had conducted highly publicized raids on Ray Mickleberg's home, uh, that they allowed TV cameras to film. So they went full cops on it, mm-hmm. and they said it uncovered quantities of gold and silver hidden under the floorboards. So they went into the home, raided it. <laughs> <coughs> and there was gold and silver there. Okay, first we've heard of the silver. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they say, never mind, the gold was not the stolen bullion, and that the brothers had receipts to prove that they had legally purchased the gold. Why has e- <laughs> <Why is> everyone <laughs> just got <laughs> God, gold over is there? <laughs> <worst>. <laughs> yeah. Why, why, The 1982 gold <laughs> rush in Perth. <laughs> they're <is> always <laughs> a few years behind <laughs> in Perth. Uh, so basically, is it? So they found this gold, and they're like, this is the gold. And they're like, we have receipts for it. It's actually not the gold. And they're like, hmm, I don't know about that. But then they look and they realize that the gold is still missing. The police have no idea where the gold is. They say, never met, Never mind that Peter's confession was in fact written by Don Hancock and fellow detective Anthony Lewandowski and that Raymond's fingerprint was planted by the police. So they're doing the fingerprints being like, would you mind just putting it on this check for us? <laughs> <ours?"> oh, my <laughs> God. Uh, as there was uh, to be no leniency from the presiding judge once the guilty verdicts were read out with Justice Des Heenan singling out the fact that the trio had refused to give up the location of the missing cord, probably because they didn't steal. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Ray Mickelberg got an astonishing 20-year sentence, oh, one of the oh, harshest man. on record in Australia for property offences, while Peter was given 16 years and Brian 12 years, and police had another ace up their sleeve. During the investigation... They'd found a series of incriminating photographs at the home of Brian Pozzi, a friend of Ray Mickelberg, showing the brothers were connected to another gold scandal, the Yellow Rose of Texas scam. So in 1980, a huge nugget of gold weighing more than 11 kilos had supposedly been found near Kalgoorlie by an elderly prospecting couple. In what turned out to be a publicity stunt, TV crews were called to Jandicott Airport where a light plane piloted by Brian Mickleberg landed, apparently from the goldfields, and the woman, who with her husband supposedly found the nugget, emerged carrying the huge rock. So Mickelberg, the guy who has been fingered for the crime, drove a plane uh, to pick up this huge gold nugget that these people had apparently found. The nugget was subsequently assessed by the Perth Mint as containing 94% gold and valued at more than $200,000, which I uh, suppose is quite a lot of money now. But, like, if someone tells me I found 11 kilos of gold and they were like, man, that's $200,000, I'd be like, you got any more back (laughs) then? You know, (laughs) this fucking thing weighs more (laughs) than my child. Like, But anyway, uh, the the gold uh, bullion was named the... Not bullying, because it was a big chunk. Mm -hmm. It was named the Yellow Rose of Texas. The giant bauble was sold to uh, Alan Bond for $350,000. But in an ironic twist, the man who would go on to defraud investors to the tunes of tens of millions was himself duped by the sale. The nugget turned out to have been manufactured by the Mickleberg mm. brothers, Ray and Brian, reportedly to promote an adventure tourism and prospect business thing. They were planning <laughs> to support start. So basically they were like, we've made a gold boy. Right. This is a publicity stunt, but uh-huh. it is gold,
0: right? They tested it. It was 94% gold. Was that fraud. fraud.
1: Yeah. That, it's interesting what happens here. Uh, but like, so basically the nugget was manufactured it man-made. So when they did subsequent tests, it was valued at less, than half of what Alan Bond paid, mm-hmm. not only Ray and Brian, but Peter, Brian and the brother's mother, Peggy Mickleberg, <laughs> and Peggy was uh, uh, a bit in on this too, because she mm. played the part of the elderly prospector emerging <laughs> okay. from the plane with a nugget. So <laughs> she right. was, Dip she was, involved. <laughs> yeah. So she was acting a little hard out and they're all jailed for their role in the caper though it had little impact on the sentence of those already behind bars over the years. The Mikkelbergs brothers launched multiple appeals against their Perth Mint Swindle convictions, and Brian Mickelberg was partially successful. His sentence was cut to eight months. He was released in 1984, but in a tragic and what some labelled as a suspicious turn of fate, Brian was killed in a plane crash in 1986. Mm. So uh, Ray and Peter are in jail, and the gold is still missing. That Mm -hmm. is until 1989, when in a bombshell development, one of the missing gold bars was sent to a television reporter named Allison Fan with a note that read, the Micklebergs are innocent and rotting in jail. So someone sent one of the gold bars. Interesting. I <laughs> was like, by the way. Expensive stunt. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. Also, like, you know, like, in movies where, like, serial killers get their danders up and are yep. kind of like, hey, by the way, I did this. Mm. They're, they're never, like hey, I killed all these people. This person's innocent. And so I was like, don't you want to hear how clever I am? But yeah, they yeah. sent a gold bar and were like, hey, these guys didn't do it. Yeah, and they
2: send like a finger or something, Yeah, not something worth well, By yeah. transit yeah. process
1: property, I must have done it. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, three months later, most of the rest of the missing bullion was delivered to the offices of Channel 7 in pelletized form, also with notes suggesting that the Micklebergs had been framed. The Mint confirmed that these pellets were the missing gold, but... The convictions for the Mickelbergs still stood. They didn't let them out. <laughs> that is, until the story took another dramatic twist following the two thousand one mafia style assassination of, rigid, of the original investigating detective Don Hancock. Mm. And John Hancock. Yeah. That's so Don funny.
0: Hancock. He was looking for a John Hancock. Yeah. From, from on the confession.
2: Is that Hancock prospecting? Like You know, that's...
1: No, 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 no. he's Uh, a cop, right? Yeah, yeah, no, he's a cop. I don't think so. So, Mm. so,
0: okay, they've gone to jail in the Mm mid-80s. And it's not till early 2000s. Yeah,
1: so one of them gets off, dies in a plane crash... Then in the late 80s, they start meshing the gold bars to Channel 7 of all people. (laughs) And like, by the way, the Micklebergs are innocent. Also, check out Family Guy at 10pm. And then in 2001, the original investigating detective gets murdered in a mafia-style assassination. It says, Hancock and his bookie mate, Lou Lewis, great name, they died in a fiery explosion as they sat in a car in the Crooked Cops driveway and the bomb that had been planted underneath exploded. The following year, Hancock's detective offsider, Anthony Lewandowski, made the stunning confession that he and Hancock had, in fact, fabricated Peter Mickelberg's confession and had continued to lie and fabricate evidence related to the case over the following years. Finally, the brothers had the smoking gun evidence of the innocence they had so long protested, with Lewandowski's revelation ultimately seeing their convictions overturned in 2004. So that's almost 20 20 years years. in jail. They would have
0: Mm. um, got a massive payout, surely, from the government.
1: Yep. Raymond and Peter Peter Mickelberg went on to be awarded hundreds of thousands of dollars for their wrongful convictions and won an apology from the police in 2007, which I'd be like, maybe double the hundreds of thousands. (laughs) Yeah, hundreds of thousands isn't that much. Like, if you split that down into,
0: like, an annual (coughs) salary, you know? Yeah, especially, like,
1: considering... That by that point, the gold probably would have been worth close to millions. But it says in 2016, 34 years after the swindle, they faced another legal battle when legal aid threatened to try recover the hundreds of thousands of dollars it cost to defend them. So legal aid was like, They came for the money. <laughs> Well, you owe, you owe us that. <laughs> oh, fucking oh. hell. Oh. A
2: Mickleberg. It's yeah. tough to be a Mickleberg. Yeah. That's what I've always said. guys uh, can't catch a break. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Unlike their fight to clear their names, the matter was quickly quickly resolved. So legal aid basically withdrew the action. Uh, who was behind the Perth Mint Swindle remains a mystery to this oh. day. The brothers' three-decade saga to clear their names and obtain some form of conversation for their ordeal has taken up a large portion of their lives and has gone down in the annals of regrettable Western Australian history. The Perth Mint... Uh, yeah this this last now needs you to show your id
2: when you yeah. buy it when you well are. the perth mint
1: <laughs> the last sentence doesn't make any sense in the context of this because the perth like the article was i think in the 2000 2010s, the perth mint had another scandal and so like it was like. Oh, the Perth Mint's just recovered from this. Now they've been fucked over again. Right, but yeah, right, the brother, right. the two brothers are free. One's dead. One's One funny. of the cops was assassinated by the mafia, it seems. Jesus. Uh, but they all fabricated it. And it's interesting that
0: the guy who did it really didn't end up with any sort of, like, financial
2: gain because he sent it all fucking
0: to
1: yeah, Channel 7. Like, yeah, know, which is wild. Like, they're, they're saying like an it's still a mystery. Must have, he must
2: have just gone, how do I... I can't take this down to cash converters. Yeah, like, yeah. what do I do to yeah. get rid of this without... And he just sat on it for years and thought, I'm just going to... I don't know. But, like, like sure like sending it to the... Trying to get the guys in jail off
1: doesn't help you in that scenario, yeah. right? But, also, like, if the Micklebergs have been framed and you know it and you've got the gold... Maybe send it to a lawyer or like someone who will do it. Like, obviously, sending to police is a bad idea because they yeah. fabricated the whole thing in the first place. If you send it to the police and be like, the Mickelberg's wrong, they'd be like, we'll just dump that in an evidence locker and continue mm, being mm, the mm. biggest piece of shit on the planet.
2: Yeah. But like,
1: I'm, yeah, I don't know. Maybe if I'd stolen think the. I it
2: to Larry Emder on the day <laughs> show, Yeah. Not maybe how I'd how send
1: it to Daryl Summers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> uh i got one that's quite similar unless you want to jump into mine's because oh, oh, it's got good. some similar themes actually oh that okay, one right. yeah because this is uh uh this is a story uh about um the perth character i call him a character he's a bit of a wacky lad <laughs> uh the night caller um one of uh well i'll get into it right the now call the night caller He's a.
1: I thought you were just slurring your words. I was like, it's Nightcrawler. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: no, they. Uh, it's like the Aldi version of yeah. the Nightcrawler. Like they can't call him the same thing. But he's uh, WA's most infamous serial killer, pretty much. Um, so i will get into right. This is a bit of a. So this jumps around the, in the telling of the tale, but there's a few elements to this that's really interesting. So first of all, first of all, it's a sort of February the 9th, 1963. It's a guy called John Button's 19th birthday. He's very pumped. He's going to spend know. it. Very, very cute as a uh he's spending it with his seventeen year old um girlfriend, which back then was completely fine, by the way. <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld um, style. i was two years <laughs> old. Fucking twenty <laughs> yeah. years yeah. Old, older. But um yeah, so they were mad they were madly in love. I put her on labor. <laughs> She's of age just legal. <laughs> um so they were madly in love and all this, and he's like, all right, let's spend bir- my birthday together. He jumps into his um, his Simca Ronde P60, which is a French car of the time, apparently, and he drove a short distance to her parents' house, and they spent the day together and all this, and it ended off at the end of the day having a bit of fish and chips at her parents' house with his younger brother, Jimmy. And, but while they're watching TV, a hand stole uh, a, French, uh, a chip from John's plate, he reached and slapped the hand away, thinking it was Jimmy. Cursed him out as a thieving bastard. But it was Rosemary's hand. She was very offended, okay? And as some women do, they got a bit emotional. Uh this is what she- <laughs> <laughs> it was literally how it's written. Um, oh,
1: hey, this is not your commentary? No, yeah, no, no. And so she gets
2: upset. and It literally
1: says in the article, as some women do. No, yeah, it
2: says something about young lovers being emotional right. a bit later on. But she storms off and she says, that's it, I'm walking home. I don't want any more of this. And he goes, come on, get back in the car. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Drives after her, drives after her. She won't get in. So he goes, all right, I'll just let her walk it off and calm down. I'll pull over, have a cigarette and then I'll go and get her and make sure she gets home. He does that, has a cigarette as he drives up around the corner to where he saw her walk. He looks down and she's on the ground, pretty much dead blood Uh coming out of her head. He freaks out, grabs her, throws him in her in the car, drives off to the doctors. The doctor's like, she's bleeding out of her head. They go to the hospital. They eventually take her to the hospital and, uh, and then the police come in and they get involved. Um, so, the um basically the cops come in and uh, they're a little bit like this looks like a Mickelson job the yeah. well. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> boys i know yeah, just the three
1: boys <laughs> <laughs> uh so the cops are very suspicious. Can, can you put your finger on the murder weapon for
2: me very quickly? <laughs> the, the cops are very suspicious okay first of all they know about the big fish and chip fight they hear all about that so that's right. motive right that's why you want to kill her because she got mad <laughs> um they look at the car there's a dent in the front left bum- uh a bumper of the car all right um john told him he had a minor accident a couple of weeks ago but they dismissed that and there's blood on the front of the car and he said yeah because i just carried my bleeding girlfriend into the car and and got a bit of blood on the Mm -hmm. front of the car they didn't believe him at all john had a stutter and police interpreted his struggle to speak as a nervous behavior he was also in a state of shock and he and when they told him they came in they told him that his girlfriend had died and she didn't survive he vomited everywhere and was a complete complete nervous wreck after 22 hours of interrogation and physical abuse at the hands of the officers, <laughs> John gave up and signed a written confession. Right, So they wrote a confession. Earth yeah. cops. Yeah. 20, Let's
1: take him down Comnot style.
2: 22 <laughs> hours and apparently um, he- They tortured him. The, the, like Barton would claim that the lead detective, John Wiley, punched him in the gut to get the confession. <laughs> like, it's a,
1: like, it's a bully. So like, <laughs> confess, confess, <laughs> like, say How uncle. How long do you think you could survive under confession? Twenty three hours. Twenty three hours. I don't know. I don't know. Like, because the thing 15 is, fifteen minutes for me. Yeah. So, John,
2: what John was saying, he says, is, look, I just wanted to leave. They wouldn't let me leave. I wasn't allowed. To, uh, no one knew their rights back then. I, I bet the I room should. also
1: like still had vomit and stuff. Like, oh yeah. yeah.
2: Like, and sure. you, and you, and also he said he he sort of was he felt so guilty because she was dead and he should have been there. I basically so did it. I basically did it. And also he just signed it. To they said if you sign this, you can go home. It'll be fine. And in his head, he also said, look, I didn't do it. So. I wouldn't get in trouble. I knew I wouldn't get in trouble. I just wanted to leave. Yeah. So he signs it. Um, and then eventually um, they take him to trial. And they have no evidence apart from the car, obviously. You know, it, and it's quite coincidental. He was in the scene. He was there. It wasn't he, – he was, you know, around the corner. But um, they, he says, he, you know, the car had the crash from the other week or whatever. Um, the, they just dismisses of that. So basically he's facing execution by, by hanging, <laughs> right? That's what he's charged with murder um, so he's sitting there he's waiting for um, he's waiting for the the jury um, the, the foreman of the jury comes out um, he's sitting there his life's in his hands and the <clears throat> the foreman says um, uh, we find the defendant not guilty so buttons elated and then the foreman goes oh, sorry I, I said the wrong <laughs> thing there uh, I meant to say guilty, Your Honor. <laughs>
1: Wait, he's
0: worse than like La La Land. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. literally, he, he,
2: he drew it. He, Steve Harvey it, Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He so he goes guilty. Sorry, yeah. But I mean, uh,
1: two of the jurors. <laughs> so did the not say whether <laughs> like during the trial, like the judge is like, yeah, it's a forced confession or anything. They, they, this is the 60s. They had no con-
2: like you yeah. and that. So so they they were like, why would you sign? Why would you... if you didn't do it? No one can understand this concept, right? So two of the jurors had balked at the murder conviction and convicted him of manslaughter. So he didn't actually get um, sentenced to murder. He got did get convicted of manslaughter. That was the stuff up because the foreman said not guilty murder, guilty manslaughter. So oh, he got yeah. 10 years in jail um, and he didn't appeal his conviction, even though he knew he was innocent because his lawyer said it could go the other way and you might get convicted of murder, right? And you'll and you'll be harmed. Yeah, so brutal. just do your five to five to 10, right? So that happened in 63. Just Now let's just rewind back four years earlier. Another girl Gillian Brewer Heir to the McRobinson Chocolate fortune mm. Jamie, I'm listening Jamie's <laughs> listening uh, Creator of uh, Iconic Australian chocolates Freddo the Frog Whoa. Old Gold Cherry Ripe I call my daughter hey, Fredo. Hey. Frog I love Cherry hey, Ripe She's cute. beautiful I love Old Gold We love it all oh, go. <laughs> Old Gold That's what
1: I did Every week about. <laughs> <laughs> so So uh, she was asleep,
2: Julian Brewer. She was cherry a, ripe. Not very good. Uh, it's fucking that, delicious. That's that's worse than any of the crimes we've so far. <laughs> <laughs> um, what you're a cherry ripe booster? No, Brewster? I don't know. I'm a whatever the You Don't rate Brewster. it. Yeah. Boer. What about bounty? Well, bounty stinks. I'm more
1: yeah, of a so bounty So why guy. would you fucking cherry ripe the same shit but just no, with it's cherries. Not.
2: cherries? shoehorned in. It's not, just, it's not all coconut. <laughs> I'm not a big fan. Turkey, I'm a Turkish delight guy. If I'm gonna go for filled chocolate
1: bars, caramel.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Mm, Caramel Corral is good.
1: Mm. Yeah. Fredo? Frog. Ah, oh, Fredo Frog the cutest Bit baby pain. I've ever seen. Um, the, fro- the, the chocolate, not the baby. <laughs> <laughs> I, I cry oh, when I Fredo Frogs in my house. You know, <laughs> my daughter, she's fine.
2: Yeah, not the great feeling coming out of Fredo at the end of the day when you change her. <laughs> I nap bite lot. and bite. <laughs>
1: There's no caramel uh, there.
2: So anyway, Jillian's in her sleep in her bedroom flat. This is four years earlier than all that stuff with Button. And anyway, she, her boyfriend goes out, comes home the next morning he's away she's dead she's been killed with a tomahawk Ugh. and a pair of dressmaking scissors no fingerprints are found in the flat apart from her and a boyfriend who had a airtight alibi he was away for the night police have no idea all leads have run dry 16 months later 20-year-old Daryl Beamish who was a what was used to be called a deaf mute which is he can't hear or talk vocally mm-hmm. he can only sign was arrested um, for being some local pedo stuff, which we'll leave to the side. Um, not great stuff. But anyway, he was arrested for that. While in arraignment, um, the cops, he noticed lived that he lived nearby um, Brewer's house. So he took him to the scene of the crime, asked him if he killed Brewer. Now, they had to get an interpreter, this lady who came and interpreted the sign language. And after initially denying it, he finally agreed, yeah, I, I, I killed her, right? Um, and they didn't really, they typed up a letter, he signed it. Now, he wasn't mentally you know, um, disabled, but he was, back then, the deaf and the dumb, they never educated him. So he's very, very poorly educated, yeah. right? So he didn't have a lot of very good English or whatever written. or He could write, but it was very, very bad. Um, so he just signed it. He was confused. Um, and also they, someone noted that he wrote in the dirt, I killed Lady Cottesloe, which was the, the suburb Cottesloe of Perth. And um, at the trial, he got so he got arrested. There was no evidence, no no DNA, no fingerprints, nothing, nothing, nothing linking him to the crime at all. Um, he uh, he said he he just misinterpreted what the interpreter like. Said back to him, mm-hmm. he just signed and went along He didn't really understand. He wrote, "I didn't kill lady in the dirt. I didn't. He didn't write. I was trying to tell them I didn't do it. I didn't do it." <laughs> and uh, the jury found him guilty of wilful murder with a st- with a strong recommendation to mercy. So the judge sentenced him to death. <laughs> so, oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ! So
1: he gets. Uh, so he's waiting execution. The justice system in Perth is crazy. You know, the cops being like, "We've got nothing." Death penalty? (laughs) And the judge being like, "Sure, yeah, let's go
2: with it." I'm feeling merciful. Yeah. So, anyway, those two guys giving mercy. (laughs) Those two guys are sitting in jail. Okay, both with confessions that they claim were coerced and they don't agree with. Four years later, this is where it starts to really cook, right? uh pun intended because <laughs> um sorry oh, God. oh no 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 no, no. <laughs> foreshadowing God, i like foreshadowing four years later 27th of january it's australia day weekend it's a sunday sort of night and uh, there's a couple in a park car in Cottesloe. And they notice a deranged man walking around with a rifle okay um he notices them. he aims and just shoots at them in their car the woman just as he pulls the rifle up pushes a boyfriend's head down in the car he he said yeah (laughs) she's like oh you you
1: love doing this to me (laughs) Uh,
2: so he pushes his head down the bullet no
1: babe i'm saving your life
2: (laughs) (laughs) she pushes his head down it goes to um the 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 shot goes through his neck and her arm but they they're both okay and they both just get in drive off right the man um after he does that there's absolutely you know nothing spurred that on at all he um he continues walking. He climbs up on the balcony of a unit. A man called Brian Weir, 29-year-old accountant, is asleep through his bedroom window. The, the guy with the rifle shoots him. Bang. And he dies from his injuries. This is. He walks then. He drive, gets in his car. This man drives to the nearby Netherlands, finds a man sleeping on a veranda, shoots him in the head while he sleeps. He then walks to the next street, rings a random doorbell. 54-year-old George Walmsley opens the door and the gunman shoots him in the head. Fuck, dead, dead the cops are like what the fuck is this four four three people shot uh, three dead two pe- five people shot three people die in one night within half an hour all with the same rifle all clearly the same man they do they fingerprint more than thirty thousand males <clears throat> over age of um 12 and they they check more than this is blew my mind this is the 60s They checked more than sixty thousand point twenty-two rifles. So there was 60,000 of this particular rifle floating around Perth, which is, you just forget about Australia before the gun mm, buyback stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So every, because they could find 30,000 men and they could find 60,000 rifles (laughs) of this particular type of rifle, right? So they test fired them, didn't find a single one that matched. And then um, two weeks later, Constance Lucy Madrill, 24, found strangled to death in a flat in West Perth. Um, different cause of death but the nearby location the timing drew curiosity from the cops six months later shirley mcleod 18 found dead in her apartment shot with a 22 rifle and they're like this is definitely the same guy the cops get a break though because someone finds a 22 rifle stashed in the bush in mount pleasant across the river so the cops test the gun and it is the murder weapon for the shootings so what they do is they disable the gun and in a very, like, cartoon Looney Tunes um, style, they put it back in the bush, but they tie a fishing line to it. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. Run it around the bush around okay. the corner, and they sit there like they're trying to, you in know, a They
1: planted a big black tunnel. <laughs> yeah. Went to the Wiley Coyote <laughs> School of Police. Yeah. So, it's all Acme evidence yeah. based.
2: So they they, they eventually, um, they, they wait for 18 days in some decent policing. They sit there and they wait. They assume he's, he might come back for it and a man comes 17 days later sorry a man comes picks it out of the bush eric edgar cook right that's where he starts yeah, we yeah, right? yeah, there we yeah, go yeah, okay right. so no, leisurely. you'd think he
0: was going to kill cook and eat someone <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well that comes to, uh,
2: a little later on um no so edgar cook he's, he picks up the gun and they go bang we got we got our guy so edgar cook it's it's just the same every single crazy serial killer it's the same unhappy violent family dad bashed him mother was Getting bashed, the alcoholic dad. He yeah. was ran away from home. Like it's just the eight, just the most typical stuff all the time. He starts doing break and enters as a teen. He serves 80 months in jail for burning down a church after he was rejected from the choir. <laughs> which is very, which is a great yeah, reaction to that. I was going to say like
1: a few rejections from the store. You know, <laughs> here, like, so so
0: death metal to burn down a church. Yeah, find yeah. out the reason because <laughs> choir voice. His
2: little choir voice wasn't good enough. So he's arrested for break-in enters, and he um, the cops explain how they caught him with all these fingerprints and all these break-in enters. So he learns about fingerprinting and how to, because this is before true crime, right? Mm, yeah. So people didn't understand this stuff back then. Um, so they got him, and uh, in his detailed confessions, Cook admitted over the course of you know his sort of criminal career to over 250 break-ins and burglaries with remarkable detail. He even says that in the '60s, people often felt secure enough to leave their keys in cars ignition overnight. Eric Edgar Cook took advantage of this almost every night. He stole a car, drove it around, committed crimes and only to return it in the morning before the owner even realized it was gone. Right. Jeez. He, uh, he gave, he offered up 22 violent crimes to police, including eight murders, 14 attempted killings, including the murders of Rosemary Anderson and Gillian Brewer. Oh, wow. So he said, I did it. He said he got caught break. He got, uh, an, a lady called Patricia Berkman was 33. He was robbing a house she woke. She came in and found him. He stabbed her to death, and then he obviously got a thrill out of that, and he went on a murder spree over the next five to six years. And Gillian he would just drive around. He saw Gillian Brewer one night. He just so the fucking, original
1: woman the didn't break crashed. into a house. Was just like that's she'll do. This, this mm. is the
2: thing with Cook, which blows everyone's mind: is he killed eight people and tried to kill him, and just like completely random so many different yeah, like a lot that's of what them i was gonna say he has no do, mo no, absolutely no mo well apart from shooting people asleep which he did for like half his murders but the rest of them strangling cra- like stabbing, yeah exactly and, and it's
0: crazy to be a like a serial killer but also just pop a spree kill in the middle yeah, like that's yep. so incongruous and years
2: between so he killed a couple of people then he went on the spree then he killed a couple more six months later incredibly weird. um not uh, not typical at all so <clears throat> the cops say, look, cook, they. As, uh, this is how the cops treat, like, they're, they're making, they're punching this other guy to admit, that they're like, Cookie, come on, mate, you're going to hang, you know that. So, like, they're treating him like a buddy. Got yeah. around Yeah, like, yeah. Come come you, on, mate, cookie. you and me go back ages. Um, you've got a wife, and she so had a wife and kid this whole time, by the way. Um, you've you got to think about, you know, you're going to be dragged to the gallows like a mongrel dog, or you're going to go there like a man admit everything you've done so he does that's again. an
1: that's a cool interrogation technique mm, like mm.
2: dude are you a bitch yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, to yeah. the killing. Like, what yeah. dog? <laughs> so he basically he says i did it all right he's sentenced to hang and he and he is hung but as he's led to the gallows he he knows that these other two guys are still in jail at mm. the time for these murders one of them's going to get out so deaf
1: mute guy's still in jail
2: both are still in jail
1: but uh, yeah so that that's wild right like as soon as he confesses, he's been led to the gallows. They haven't made any, any kind of effort to get rid of the two so, guys who are innocent. So he,
2: as he's been led to the gallows, he swears on a Bible, on a minute from a minister, "I swear before Almighty God that I killed Anderson and Brewer." The the Reverend who he does that in front of, like literally like thirty seconds before he gets walked across, um, he does a stat deck. I this is what he said. He um, he even said he took he told the cops where to find the car that he used in the hit and run. He said that hit and run I drove it over this part of the park. I smashed it. I drove it into a tree to disguise the the hit and run, and then I left it. And that the owners when they found it they said yep that all matches up. And that wasn't a reported stolen yeah. car. Yeah. He also explained how he killed the woman, and there was details that only he would know about her, where like her frying pan and all this sort of stuff. All this information the cops got then the button and beamish both uh, um, appealed obviously and in both cases the judges were like no nah, don't care. he's a murderer and they used all his depraved actions against his testimony said he's a depraved killer we can't trust Damn. him oh my god so that
1: is lunacy yes yeah.
2: absolutely so basically they just sort of, and they so were some Discrepancies, but like stuff that was just, he just clearly com- confused one murder that he did with another. Yeah.
1: But you put a guy to death for the two fucking murders. Yeah. I'm mad. yeah.
2: yeah so, so, a- so a- Barton gets, legal so head, uh, eventually Beamish uh, gets um, uh, commuted, like, so, uh, what do you call parole. paroled. So, neither of them, so Barton serves five years in prison, five years parole. He's a hit and run guy who got, who got charged. Beamish um, gets ten years, and eventually they like, we can't hang a deaf mute guy based on this episode. So they, he was also innocent, <laughs> yeah. Was, so they give him uh, ten. I think they give him fifteen years. He does his fifteen years, and then he is released. But they're still both murderers in the eyes of the law. Yeah. So they're out of jail now. So they do the original appeal when they're in jail, dismissed out of hand. It li- they they're just living their life, but they're convicted murderers for twenty years. And all the lawyers and all the legal scholars in this town know that it's bullshit. Or at least they've got suspicions, it's bullshit. And then 1998, right? So we're talking 30 years later, Western Australian journalist, Estelle Blackburn, basically writes a book on it called Broken Lives. And um, she goes into real detail and she gets a bunch of lawyers and they fly out a pedestrian crash expert, William Rusty Haig from the United States, to perform a crash, a test on the car the button drove versus the car that Cook claimed he drove. Because one of the things the judge dismissed was, that that car couldn't have done that. It's got a steel um, sun visor and that would have a dent in it and it doesn't. Like these real technical things the judge was hung up on.
1: Mm. Always good half a jet fuel doesn't melt steel. Yeah, 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 it literally <laughs> was that. So the
2: judge was like, come on, this is sun visor. That would have a dent in it. He's still in jail. The the guy does like MythBuster style, like t- crash test dummy stuff, drives both cars. They have to find this French car from the 60s. They get three versions of it. They drive it. It's all completely... Um, aligned with like the, the damage to the, the French car, the Buttons car was like on the front light. And this woman went over the bonnet mm. and the other car had all this other damage so that it was completely consistent or at the very least proved that it couldn't have been Buttons car. And they do a bunch of other information. And eventually in 2002, the court criminal appeals quash Buttons conviction, right? Jeez. 2002. So when that happens, um Beamish's he's against they're both still alive. He finds out. He's like, Well, okay, based on he confessed to that, he confessed to this, why would he lie to that and that to this? He goes to the confessions and they eventually in two thousand and five they squash Beamish's um appeal. Based on that. The Western Australian government gives them both around $400,000 each as part of the wrongful thing. Very similar amount to old yeah. mate, right? But apparently, again, just like legal aid came claw and apparently when they gave it to... So 400 grand for a button, which was 10 years in jail and 30 years of being a pariah in the community. Mm. The woman's family still still say he did it, right? So he spent 30 years like that. 400 grand, and he said apparently when that happened, Centrelink knocked our pension back 800 a month. <laughs> <laughs> so, the family of the original
1: guy all think that boyfriend did it, even though the original okay. argument was about a chip.
2: The family of the woman who was killed in the hit and
1: run still think the boyfriend did it. But the argument started over a French fry. Yes, French fry. And so yes. they're like, he's the exact kind of guy. Yeah. But, Jamie, what you're forgetting is that he does stutter. A- so, yeah, yeah. Just yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. <have> to say, <laughs> exactly.
2: Well, they're just hung up on the. Why would you say you did it if you didn't do it? And they can't wrap their head around that. So yeah, that to this day that's, he's still a prime. That's insane. Like, yeah, people so yeah. get false confessions from torture all yeah, the time yeah. it's the easiest thing to um, wrap your head around uh, unbelievable unbelievable <laughs> stuff so there you all go right. so that's, I like
1: the deaf mute guy as well finally getting out and being like now I can resume my pedophilia <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 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 It's so funny because
2: no one talks about why he was originally arrested and <laughs> yeah. all the because well,
1: right, I kept being this, like oh man that poor deaf mute guy yeah. <laughs> and I was like wait a minute <laughs> I was so upset
2: when I found that because like why was he originally arrested and no one said that in one article they're like he was arrested for <laughs> I'm like fuck oh. um, <laughs> 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 anyway, oh, all, right. all
0: right. Um, I got a bit of a forgotten tale from the 80s in Perth um, That sort of came to light a little bit recently Because the son of um, one of the people involved Ended up investigating it and working with the ABC To do this big sort of four-corner style mm-hmm. report into this So um, strap in i'll set the scene uh the story starts september 1st 1988 uh perth wa i've had the time of my life by bill medley and jennifer warnens most from the dirty dancing
1: soundtrack number mm. one on the aria charts mm-hmm. so you know remember training uh for my formal with that dance at pe they made us do that oh right. yeah, yeah that was your yeah. formal song uh, well, I didn't choose it, but like, they, I Training think. Training like, for it, though. They, I think. Like yeah, Longbow. <laughs> and Year 10 for like three weeks, we did an intensive like dancing, and that was one of the songs. Like waltzy stuff? Well, yeah. it was that, but like, it, I guess. The original didn't have, like, a techno remix part to <laughs> it. So it's, like, not, like, the Black Eyed Peas version, but, like, some middle ground that's where, gross. like, it went off a little <laughs> bit. But, yeah, we had to learn kind of, like, ballroom, ballroom-ish crumping. What oh <laughs> yeah. Ballroom oh. crumping.
0: So that sounds like another Black Eyed Peas song. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's number one on the ARIA charts. 3,700 kilometers away. Well, one-year-old Drew Bensley was probably shitting his nappy. <laughs> okay. and
1: 37 years Thomas later, <laughs> an adult Drew Bensley knocks on Sam Bowne's door and is like, I shit my nappy." <laughs> <laughs>
0: and just before dawn, while most of the city's asleep, two men pull into the car park in the suburb of Karawara and approach the Man Lin Chinese restaurant, then douse the exterior in petrol. Set it alight. Um, completely guts it shatters the rear window melts all the chinese lanterns and stuff you can imagine a chinese restaurant in the 80s mm-hmm. shit's going up pretty you can imagine a chinese right? restaurant today yeah, it's yeah exactly yeah. exactly <laughs> um so it completely fucks it and it's kind of a cool building and it's very so the people who um, built it um wanted to do it in like you know the cantonese like the architecture with this um the curved roof and stuff mm-hmm. and look, look, really cool looking building mm-hmm Uh, Later that morning, very same morning, September 1, 88, a second Chinese restaurant is targeted, kicking Mm. off what would become a coordinated campaign of terror on the streets
2: of Perth. Um, so yeah, the man you never full for long after Chinese, right? Yeah, you yeah, bomb one yeah. and then like very quickly after bomb another one. All
0: that MSG. <laughs> um, so the Man Lin was owned by the Chan family. They had moved to Australia in the sixties, and they had worked at several other restaurants before finally scrounging together some money, opening their own um, restaurant. Uh, and then, so the cop who's sort of leading the arson squad, this is a bloke named Maury Tong. He suspected it was targeted straight away. You know, two Chinese. He's like, yeah, yeah, I think it's probably right. So uh, the, one,
1: cops the, one, like, oh. the one, the one decent cop in birth makes yeah. the <laughs> easiest logical conclusion yeah. you can make.
2: Um, everyone, every other cop's yeah. like, I got this paraplegic guy over I mean, here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's head probably, until probably he the Mickelberg, brothers <laughs> and this deaf mute yeah, guy. It's <laughs> deaf mute,
0: um, There were no strong leads. Basically, like the evidence, there's just no evidence. Mm. Uh, a couple, of, but it was confirmed that it was targeted. A couple. Of months later in November 1988 when a Molotov cocktail was launched at the Golden House Chinese restaurant in Bellevue. Uh, then in the new year in 89 there was an attempt to torch the Co Sing Chinese restaurant in Ferndale and then the Lingnan Chinese restaurant in Mirabuka only a few days after that. Uh, so un- and also while this is going on un- unbeknownst to the police the gang had also uh, committed more than 15 burglaries across Perth helping them fund their activities. So robbing places at night, using that to make these, you know, get the petrol, get the bombs, plan oh, it all. Be right?
1: Shitting yourself if you're a Chinese restaurant in Perth at that time, right? Like yeah. That. Yeah. Well, exactly.
0: Right. This is, um, it's kind of interesting because the guy who, who, uh, who sort of brought this up all these years later, the son of the Chan family, his name's Crispian, and um, he's in he's in his forties now, but he was just a little kid, like, mm. and he remembers being like. He's got all these like interesting memories because he was just like, well, he never felt like he was in danger, but then looking back, he's like, well, fuck, we we're getting targeted because his parents are bit, you know, trying to protect him a little bit, but yeah. And he just doesn't really know what's going on. He's just like, why is what you know what's going on? Why is the place burnt down? Um, so suspicions soon fall on a group that were pretty well known to police at the time uh, it was a racist neo-Nazi group called the Australian Nationalist Movement. Mm uh their leader was a bloke named peter joseph or known as jack van tongeren a short man with a (laughs) (laughs) with a mustache and jet black hair what interesting. Um, interesting. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, hey, okay. was Drew Bensley out will <laughs> yeah. is that your alibi <laughs> he's trying to get in earlier <laughs> yeah,
2: that's why
1: you brought it up right at the start <laughs> <laughs> well I couldn't have done it I was shitting my pants
2: Perth Cop's like no <laughs> you know he may be a one year old <laughs> child but can you put your finger in this diaper please <laughs>
0: Um, so what had been happening from about 1987, the ANM, that's the Australian Nationalist Movement, they've been plastering racist propaganda all over bus stops, lampposts, road signs all over the city, um... (laughs) Black and white posters with racist caricatures and slogans such as Asians out or racial war. So they should have looked at the Silver Service guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. Uh, and white revolution, the only solution.
2: I, I'm not going to try to get in these racist heads, but of all the things, that, of all the Chinese institutions to get rid of, it's the, like most, the beloved <laughs> one. most beloved one. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. like this is the weirdest thing to talk. Um,
0: yeah. And basically during this time, the police did sort of nothing. And, you know, obviously there are a lot of parallels With right now, when there's, you know, all these groups, especially in Melbourne, putting up all these, like, hateful signs and spreading, you know, um, using this sort of, like, uh, evil rhetoric and stuff, but the police are completely ignoring it, but also, there's just no law, there was no law that... That prohibited putting up racist posters yeah yeah there was so, a law that was that was, was just, just against putting up posters on public property that's <laughs> all that had to go on yeah right it so
2: can't it didn't what the exactly yeah it's, it's also so probably, probably, probably like two degrees separated from what like one nation at the whatever the one nation at the time was saying publicly. Oh, totally. like you yeah, know yeah. whatever
0: well that's what a lot of people you know in the story was saying because like there is a lot of that where it was like you know, you know, know oh yeah sure, sure the, police the police were saying that but some, some of the cops the would expressing sentiments that sure. were pretty similar yeah, to this you yeah, know yeah, yeah. this is 80s Australia pretty um, and In Western, Western Australia too which is um, like so 60s Australia <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so Maury Tong this bloke he's the head of the arson squad he knew that, um, that that it was like obviously a deliberately lit fire because it's a restaurant restaurants sometimes burn you know kitchens got fire um, so he was like this is arson but again the evidence of the scene was pretty thin and um, That was up until 1989 when the group returned to the co-sing Chinese restaurant in Ferndale, um, which, if you recall, that's one they attempted but failed to burn. That was just one of their sort of spree (laughs) in the late 80s. Mm -hmm. So, unlike the previous attacks, this time the group came armed with uh, something a bit more sinister, and that was a mining explosive wrapped in fencing wire, (laughs) and they (laughs) blew the fucking roof off the place. Like, this is a full-on bomb. Uh, Windows shattered out into the street. Um massive escalation from throwing Molotov well, cocktails. people at
1: getting killed during this, or is it just property damage? Just property
0: damage. Um, well, that's okay. That's you know, slap on the wrist, <laughs> 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 then. Uh, so then, Q, Operation Jackhammer. Uh, a senior member of the a and by the name of Russell Wiley had been picked up for a string of burglaries, and he was facing decades in prison, so he turned snitch, wore a wire, Went back undercover for a couple of weeks. Also wiry. Yeah, no, yeah. ended up catching. Did you
1: just mention a guy called Wiley as well? No.
0: Wiley J.
2: Wiley I. Yeah. Wiley. Well, I- well, that's why I um, said so Wiley Coyote. Yeah, yeah. Wiley Coyote. Oh yeah, sorry.
1: Did um, <laughs> <laughs> you mention a guy called Roadrunner? <laughs> <laughs>
0: he um he ended up catching hours of taped conversation, proving to a and like these guys could not stop blabbing to each oh, other. They're sitting no. around like bragging about the bomb, you know, all the fires and stuff. They raid, the cops ra- use this, they raid a rural property an hour north of
1: bragging Perth. Bragging about the bomb. There's a joke there to be about <laughs> one of <Hastings>. my favourite topics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I was downplaying it. First I was bragging, then like, it wasn't that bad. I it think it was the best blowing yeah. ever. <laughs> it was pretty good.
0: Um, they raided a property an hour north of Perth that the gang was using for paramil- paramilitary-style training. Um, and there police found an underground bunker lined with sandbags, a firing range lookout tower, buried weapons, and more than $10,000 cash. No way. And there were some photos that I saw of this, and it looks fo- like it looks like the lair in an 80s action movie where
1: they're mm, all training, yeah. right?
0: Like it's full, full on. for full full clan. Exactly. Uh, so after that arrest, two other members of the A&M uh, suspected this other bloke, David Locke, That he was the snitch so wiley got away scot-free uh poor old Locke, he uh he copped it they lured him into a park in the suburb of gosnells where he was beaten with iron bars and had his throat slit oh so they get rid of him dead um in 1990 jack van tongeren and a couple of others were convicted of over 150 offenses and <laughs> so when we have guests and they leave, it's less weird than when Jamie just leaves. <laughs> so I'm, just, I'm just telling you a story from my phone. <laughs> yeah, all right. Um, so that's yeah, Jamie Piss Count number two. Um, so where was I? They, yeah, it's Van Tongeren and a few others. They were convicted of over 150 offenses. This is in 1990. Van Tongeren is sentenced to 18 years jail, but he only ends up serving 12. And was released on parole in the early two thousands. Oh wow. Yeah. So uh two thousand two he's released. And uh, wouldn't you know it? A few months after he gets out, Chinese restaurants around Perth mysteriously start this going up in sky. flames.
2: Unbelievable. <laughs> <I> mean, what, <laughs> is, what is the like long term plan here? Uh, I, like is yeah. this this we well, just he's like just a rac- a he's a racist guess. who wants to intimidate the Chinese population. Like, yes. I guess in his
0: mind he's like whole... <laughs> What, fly back to China? I mean, and that's what
2: I'm trying to... Th- like, you know, again, it's like, it's. I can sort of see these idiots in the 80s seeing a bunch of Rambo movies and being like, yeah, we should fucking... But surely you'd bomb a few of them and then you go to jail for 20 years and then you go, fuck, I was a dumb idiot. Yeah, and I was... Yeah, what no, was I think? You no, know, it comes out... It's so not so with
1: Perth Cops, though, where the job application is like, are you a bloke? <laughs> like, <laughs> go for I guess it.
2: so.
0: Um... So then, uh, while the restaurants are burning again, a bunch of racist graffiti attacks on Asian businesses start occurring. Oh. He denies it all. And how um, old are you at this point? <laughs> at this point, <laughs> I would have been 15 years old. Mm. No longer shitting into a nappy. Yeah, yeah. Although I, look, I've never been to Perth. <laughs> Allegedly. Uh Four people were convicted uh, for the attacks on three restaurants. These are the modern ones. These are the modern ones. And although police found A&M propaganda at one of their houses, that still wasn't enough to say A&M were responsible. So, you know, it's the most obvious thing in the world, but just for whatever reason, the court of law doesn't quite add up. The chain of evidence, whatever, it breaks down somewhere. Um, So, but police at the time were sensibly for once, uh, monitoring Van Tongeren during this time. uh, And they found that his gang had hatched a separate plot to bomb four other restaurants, including the Man Lin, which had reopened, and that was the very first one to burn. Uh, In August 2004, a week-long manhunt, this detail I loved, uh, a week-long manhunt for Van Tonga and ended w- uh, with police receiving a tip-off that located him at an RSL club. <laughs> 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 he's <laughs> Definitely yeah. was
1: not playing Lucky 88. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. not be seen oh, playing oh, a machine dude. like that. You want to play a good Aussie
0: machine? Yeah, like, where's those, the gold? All those Dragon Cash ones, you'd <laughs> <laughs> be fucking steaming. Um, this time he's given a two-year suspended sentence and ordered to leave WA. Just Um,
2: dump him on us over here Uh,
0: And then obviously, you know, mysteriously the attacks cease the second he's gone So he fucking did it Um, And there's kind of a uh, semi, you know, happy ending At least for the man, Lynn, because they did reopen and they became bigger than ever So the Chans ran it for 20 years, retired in 2008, closed the doors um, And they said, sort of, you know, there was such an awesome, like, outpouring from the community. The second open, it opened, they were like, dude, we'll right, run off yeah, our feet chains. for years, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So everyone everyone loved them. Then, um, as I mentioned, the 30th of September, 2023, Crispian Chan, um, his ethnic Chinese resident of Perth, whose family restaurant had been bombed by the a in the 80s, he published an article for the ABC about how he attempted to track Van Tongeren down, uh, discovered that he was living in South Australia to this day, and I did a little extra... Research and oh, apparently he's through the bounty hunter. He's oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I got that dog in. He uh, he's apparently working as a portrait artist.
2: That's unbelievable. He just paints
0: people's portraits. And I looked up some of the portraits that he's done, and um, Well, one of them was a, a German Australian fella. Who was Australia's most prominent Holocaust denier?
2: Fucking hell! <laughs> <laughs> he painted in with big, huge muscles, yeah, yeah, big yeah, Superman. On like Mount
0: one of those, Olympus. one of those Trump biggest The yeah, biggest <laughs> dick you've ever seen. <laughs> um, Two AK-47s. And while while Crispin <laughs> yeah, trying is trying to track him down for this article, he he gets threatened by an associate of Van Tongeren's to like back off, you know. Uh, and in his article, um, they, yeah, he sort, sort of goes into to Van Tongeren, which is just kind just of there's like a psychologically odd, interesting, interesting thing going, going on here, right? So, Peter, Peter Joseph Van Jack, he was born in the Netherlands, Jamie Kirk, so mm. I might just deflect a little blame okay. on you no. on this one. I wasn't born in the Netherlands. <laughs> he was born in 1947 to a Dutch father and Australian mother. A family later migrated to Australia. He joined the Australian army, saw action in Vietnam in the 70s. Uh, okay. Following his military Sorry, service... The action in Vietnam.
1: That's <laughs> <happening>. <laughs> I was a tunnel rat. <laughs>
0: um, following his military service, he traveled throughout Australia from 79 um, to 83, associated with a variety of far-right groups, such as the South Australian League of Rights, the Tasmanian branch of the Anglo-Saxon Celtic Society, sydney Bay's National Action Neo-Nazi Group, and the Los Angeles-based Neo-Nazi American Workers Party. Um,
1: That's wild, because, like, the netherlands was like one of the most persecuted places in the second world war yeah. like i mean like Anne frank is the most one of the most mm, famous mm, examples yeah um, yeah
0: while he uh while he was in sydney he ran for the senate with the nazi group the national action and he got a whopping 1077 votes that's, that's too many <laughs> 0.13 percent 0. 0. um that's way too many uh he left um in 85 he left that group he went back to perth and formed a m that was in 1985 so three years before this campaign started but just to add a little extra layer you know you mentioned he's this neo-nazi he's the netherlands background in the 90s sometime uh, it came out that um his father was part javanese so he's he's a quarter indonesian
2: right? he's, an, he's an, you know, an asian dude and like he knew it wasn't like a mystery to him um no he knew yeah wow. um and so, so he's
1: not doing 23 and me being like Fuck. yeah <laughs> oh so crispy and chan
0: who did this article try to track him down he kind of made an interesting comparison between the two of themselves because they both have shared asian heritage and according to um Van Tongeren's mother who wrote an article about like what the fuck happened to my son. She, you know, she's not racist or anything. She very much disavowed him. But she wrote this big article that was kind of like he, as a kid, yeah. suffered yeah. horrific uh, racist bullying for being Asian.
1: That'll do, and do it. And so it's this weird and like self-hating. Then he goes to Vietnam. And He's tweaked like like
0: something. So, um, I always wonder how people go
1: far right. And like that's cool. got to be one of the ways. So. Yeah, it's the that's same as those
2: uh, Republican. I don't know. I feel like there's a bunch of them where we're all like clearly game Exactly. In. There's a lot of on the yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's got to be a similar. Um, but
0: yeah. So, so that's What do
1: you mean a new bathhouse is open? <laughs> 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 I better go down and check it out because <laughs> I will shut it down <laughs> from the inside. <laughs>
0: um, so yeah, that's <laughs> just a little-known oh, period yeah. of uh, Australian history that you don't hear too much about. Pretty much a, a
1: terrorist, terrorist I mean, campaign over a, several years. Yeah, I would love to do another amazing. one on Perth because I found like at least two more things. I think oh, it's got I some, some that's shit that's to enough.
2: Do. Enough cooking in Perth For sure Yeah Definitely I think we scratched the surface That's great yeah. fun. Alright Awesome Good time Well you too.
1: If you like that Guess what baby <laughs> We have a Patreon oh, Where yeah. for $5 a month You can get two bonus episodes a month That's right Two bonus episodes With the boys Oh yeah Griffin Sometimes we'll have a guest We're doing an oral history Of the Sydney Cheeky Hormany. Three <laughs> the, Yeah <laughs> <Stop> that's <laughs> well catching off. Stop trying to get Cheeky Three To work yeah. You've been it's trying happen. to You've been trying to Cheeky Three since before the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Different context. But, uh, you had a cheeky three before the podcast. Yeah, I did have a cheeky three before the podcast. Three inches. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so, so we've got, got a lot of episodes uh, that are coming out. News off cuts. Uh, oh, more of research. Deep Dives. It's got everything you'd want and more. And it only costs $5, baby. Or you can keep listening to the free pod. We're more than 160 episodes in. Mm -hmm. We're going to do this forever. (laughs) There is no way our friendship could break up. (laughs) There is no way this podcast could break up. Uh, You guys are awesome. Please keep... Getting in touch with us via Instagram. We, we love, love hearing it. from you. We, we love excited. your stories. We love your memes. We love everything you guys do. You, you can, can also get merchandise from the link in our Instagram bio. You can get a t-shirt. It's summer, baby. Mm. Cut those arms off. We should we get wear some a singlet. I was thinking of the worst community notice board shirt the other day, which was just <laughs> like a penis. uh, <laughs> Like being oh, hit with a hammer That says CNB CNB torture <laughs> 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 That's good Yeah that was, I was like, That's so funny or No one will buy it
2: CNB torture B- One of our listeners <laughs> Listening
1: to our <laughs> thing that is, That's it <laughs> That's like yeah. Oh no Actually that might yeah. even if, if you're a local artist You can do someone like Please. Going crazy Listening to us I've heard that Cops C- use C- C- this C- C- podcast <laughs> To force confessions Out <laughs> <laughs> of people I did it I'll do it I'll sign everything It's in Gitmo Uh uh, and if you're a Western, Western Australia cop, do better yeah. Uh, yeah. Apart from that, we will see you next Thanks, week On the is. Red Hot episode See you later right, Bye